Hello VC, The Waxed here. And in this video, I'm doing an interview. Uh, let me just set the story on how this interview came to be. If you watched my last video, which was my record store day haul video, I, at the end of it, I talked about this album here. It's called In Medio by Sriracha. And I asked if anyone knew about this because I couldn't find anything about it on the internet. And I like to think I'm pretty good at searching. Um, and the story behind it is I went to, I was in Vegas. I went to a record store called Zia and I was shopping. I didn't have a list for record store day and this cover caught my attention. And I saw Impo Impulse at the bottom. And then I pulled out my phone and I was able on YouTube to find the album to stream it uh, and on uh, Discogs. So there was stuff, but nothing about um, Sriracha. Garrett Sriracha is his name, by the way. And I posted my video and I was getting comments. And his manager uh, left a comment, uh, Wolfgang. And I found him on Instagram and we started a little nice uh, correspondence. And I said, well, I'm from L.A. They were in L.A. And when I came back um, today, which is Sunday, they were going to be near me at UCLA shooting some footage. And uh, I met up with them and I hung out for about three hours with them. And they were great. Um, both of them. And uh, Garrett was nice enough to sit down with me and shoot the interview you're about to watch. And I don't really, I don't want to give a lot away, but this album was recorded and it was released in 1973. He hadn't done an album since then. And um, the way timing worked out, there's another album with him. It's a Jazz is Dead album uh, featuring him which I believe it's available digitally and on CD and the vinyl drops next month, December. But I would like you to sit back and watch this great interview, very fascinating person, and let me know what you think in the comments. I, I was, uh, it, it was just a very whirlwind experience for me. And um, uh, enjoy. Okay, so we're here meeting Garrett Sriracha. How you doing? I'm doing fine. Uh, thank you for talking with me. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. So this is kind of a whirlwind for me because I've discovered you in the, in the last couple of days. So you had a, your album that you recorded back in the early 70s and came out in 1973 on Impulse, got reissued for Record Store Day, Black Friday, 2022 and I was in a store and saw the your album cover and I went over to it and discovered it and it is from top to bottom um, first most importantly a great album the music is transcendent I don't I'm not trying I'm not trying to you know blow smoke but it is it's a true discovery for me so I want—I just want to find out. Uh, I've been hanging out with you here on UCLA, where you went to school, 
and you've been uh, kind of, um, not kind of, you've been uh, going over your experiences here. So your, your start is you're from uh, East LA originally, right? Yes. yes. And uh, how did you um, uh, evolve? Evolve, yes, thank you. <laughs> well, actually I, I was hatched. But um, where it all started, I guess, is back in my high school. And it was during the time when there was a lot of, there was still prejudice. There was still a lot of that going around. And it was, it was still kind of under the rug, kind of hidden in the closet, but it was still there. Things were just beginning to start to form. They were started to, 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 to uh, materialize. As a result, I had left the school I went to. Uh, it was a good school. It's just that the philosophies and some of the idiosyncrasies at that time, and I'm sure by now it's hopefully has changed. But I'm just going to say that it was a miracle that I landed here at UCLA. I pretty much mouthed my way into this university, you might say. Now, your, your start in music, did it, was it as a youngster or? Well, what happened when I was in high school, again, I got to go back to the high yeah, school yeah. days, I, I had checked out different instruments. I was, I was exploring at that time uh, when I was 15, guitar. And there was a lot of guitar players at that time, blues guitar players, rock guitar players, and there was the jazz guitars. And I was playing guitar for maybe about a year and a half. Just, you know, I wasn't even taking lessons. I was just kind of fill farting with it. I didn't know what I was doing, but I was trying to get sounds and notes and stuff. And I happened to go to the lighthouse in Hermosa Beach. And performing there that evening was a gentleman by the name of Wes Montgomery. Well, <laughs> Much to my chagrin, <laughs> I didn't realize I was looking at a genius on guitar, right? I mean, fabulous. This man was beyond impeccable. He was a monster. <laughs> I saw the performance, and I actually was able to catch him in the restroom at the same time. We were both there. And uh, we started to talk, and I asked him, I said, uh, gee, Wes, you sure sound great. He goes, thank you, thank you. And I said, uh, boy, some of those chords, but some of those black chords, uh, I mean, how do, you, how, do you get, how do you hit that? What's the fingering? What's the intonation? He goes, yeah, well, some of those chords are good. They're, they're fun. But man, some of those, they're mother flowers. <laughs> and I said, yeah, okay, that makes sense. I went and saw his performance right after. After that performance, I went home, and I put that guitar in the case, I never played it again. And that was the extent of my guitar playing. Mm -hmm. Got into vibes and marimbas. I started playing with that because I happened to see a gentleman by the name of Cal Jader playing with Willie Bobo, Mongo Santa Maria, and uh, Carmela Garcia at that time. Where did you see them at? At a place called the Pasta House in Montebello. Really? All the Latin jazz musicians would go there, congregate. There, there's another place called the Fujiyama, which is now uh, a pet boat, no. It's uh, tequilas now. And let's see, were, I'm trying to think of a name of another place. Uh, the Silver Dollar, that was another one, but that was Latin jazz. But that was the beginning when I first, when I first 
saw and heard Cal Jader on Vibes. And I, at the time, was washing dishes. So I was supposed to be washing yeah. dishes. And I didn't. And the, the people kept telling me, hey, man, get back and wash the dishes, dude. <laughs> You're here to wash dishes, not to watch the performance. So uh, they caught me a couple of times too many, and they fired me and stuff. But that's when I started picking up the vibes. I got a set of vibes and uh, started playing. And one thing led to another, and I, I met a fabulous gentleman by the name of Herbie Baker Jr. He was a young boy, actually. And uh, he inspired me so much, so much that to this day, there's isn't a day I go without thinking of him. He's in my heart always, always. And today to be on this campus at UCLA was a reminder of something back in the day and what, how, how the path and how we, we strategized and, and we, we, we coordinated the music and was able to get the award scholarship. I don't know if people want to hear this, but I was basically kicked out of, the, of Royce Hall when I was a freshman. That's a long story. Right. But the following year, I won the award, and the gentleman that threw me out lined up pouring champagne for me, and we became very, very close friends. So, to, as a transition to how you got your record deal, so you, the award you're talking about is you won a. Uh, it was. That preempt, by... that preempt the album. Yeah. This is all the setting because you got to remember, I went from guitar to vibes and marimbas and played for a couple of years, and then I met Herbie. And suddenly I had a great arranger and a very, very close uh, associate. And we formed the group and we played. And by the time I got to UCLA. You were playing uh, piano with him or? No, vibes. Vibes? He was my pianist okay. and, and arranger. Arranger. I was a composer yeah. and the vibes. Okay. So we had ever been playing before I came to UCLA. Okay. Now. When I got thrown out, I, I was already playing with Herbie, and I told Herbie, hey, man, this guy threw me out. And he goes, well, well, we'll do it next year. I said, okay. And we won. And that was it. And Now, the award you, you won was a, sponsored by Frank Sinatra. It's the Frank Sinatra Music Scholarship Award given yeah. to uh, Best Contemporary Musician in the Instrumental Category at UCLA. Oh. And... Um, that kind of put you on the map with people. So oh, people start man. hearing about you. First, you know, Latin solo artist, you know, college recipient from the East Side. Yeah. Nobody's done it. No one's done. So I don't think. How far after that were you able to secure your record deal? Okay. Well, before we get to that. Okay. I had already won the award. Mm-hmm. And this is a fascinating story. I always like to tell it because it's very heartfelt. When we were doing the Frank Sinatra scholarship uh, preliminaries and stuff, Herbie had purchased a, an amplifier, an Ampeg. It was a 12-inch amplifier. And uh, I just gave it to him and I said, well, Herbie, just give me the money, you know, when you got it. And it was cool, because we, we, we could do that. And um, he gave me some money, but it was just, you know, a down payment, whatever it was. So when I won the award scholarship, I had a two thousand check dollar uh, certificate. I was going to get the money, and um, I told Herbie. I said, uh, "This is the following week. I already had the money, but I had I had cast the check." Herbie came to the house, and he said, 
hey man, we got a rehearsal uh, in a couple of days, so make sure we get everybody set up. I said, okay, okay, Herbie. I said, hey, listen, Herbie, uh, I just want to tell you, I got my money. He says, what money? I said, the scholarship money. He says, oh, great. And I said, Herbie, uh, listen, you help me with this? I told you 50-50, right? He says, yeah, yeah. I said, here, man, here's a thousand for you, man. And he looked at me, it's really strange, because I'd never seen that expression on his face. And he said, oh, uh, how much money did I owe you on that amplifier? I said, amplifier, which one are you talking about? He goes, you know, the one that I gave you down payment on. I don't know, 37 bucks, 130, something like, I don't know, 50, I don't know what it was. He goes, I'll tell you what, man, just squash that and you can keep all the money yourself. And I said, what? He said, we got rehearsal, man, so I'll see you later. He died that evening. He died in an automobile crash and I never saw him again. I, I'll never forget that moment in my life. And what happened was, from that point on, I would try to get keyboard players, forget about the arranging, just get the keyboard players, and a lot of them wouldn't show up. Harold Ann Jr. was, he was consistent, but he was very strict on his time, and I, I understood that. And there were other guys that just didn't show up, and they were flakes, and that's when I said, you know what? I had a talk with Herbie, I'm gonna play piano. And I started playing piano. And it only made sense. Hell, I was doing my own writing. I was doing compositions. Mm -hmm. So why not use the keyboard player, you know? <laughs> and that took care of that. There's always a way to get something from one place that you know is a hard place and a rock. There's always that opportunity that you can jump to the next level. And if you can jump to the next level, you succeeded in your life. Even if it takes so many years mm -hmm. they recapitulate and you get back to that point you know we're here do you feel like obviously we're we exist we're an amalgamation of our life's experiences so do you feel like that was a heavy story you just told me so do you feel like through your whole experiences and I don't even know if you even consider them ups and downs that that's kind of giving you uh, the, taking things how, how they come with the right frame of mind you have a perspective you know I think in life we, we, we all have something in life that we we witness we witness life from birth growing up life and we all are, are given the opportunity in our lives to, to use our minds and our hearts if we want and it's just a, a matter of time before we realize how much are we willing to put out how much are we willing to give people are always taking things we got to start giving because we don't have too much time left and if there's anything that could be learned from all of this into each individual soul, yours, mine, my managers, everybody, is that we have something to fulfill in our life. It's a destiny, it's a journey. And 
It's a hell of an adventure. I couldn't change it. People say, you know, hey, I, I'm gonna be an artist. I'm gonna be a musician. I'm gonna be this. I'm gonna be that. What do you? What can you tell me? I, I always say life will teach you. Now, to kind of bring it down more into uh, uh, where right. I want. No, no, th right. this is. All, I appreciate you, right. your honesty and your sincerity. That's what I think. I want people to understand that you're a real person who has a life before these two amazing records that you have out now uh, can be um, enjoyed. So there's someone behind them, you know, yeah. there's a story behind them. That's so I appreciate you giving that to me. Yeah. But um, so you were here at UCLA and you and I remember you saying earlier about a year after you won the award. Was it a year that you were able to secure the record deal or? Yeah, what happened, what happened was um, I'd won the award. Uh, I told you about the situation with the keyboard players, biggest flakes in the world. Most of them are flakes. I can say that because I'm a keyboard player. Okay. So whatever anybody wants to say, throw at me. I don't know. Right. Just buy the records. <laughs> like my dad right. used to. My dad used to tell me. He said, "Son, you know, because I come in, you know, tears, I cry, I felt bad, I couldn't eat." Yeah. I said, "What's wrong, son?" And I said, "Tell my pop." And he said, "Son, look, you had a good time, right?" I said, "Yeah." My uncle's. My uncle's telling me this. He says, "You had a good time, right?" When you played in the hay, right? I said, "Yeah." He said, "All right, break, break." <laughs> <laughs> and then my dad would chime in and say, son, the next time a girl breaks your heart or whatever, just tell her, it's okay, baby, buy my records. <laughs> he always used to tell me that. And for some reason, it was like a miracle drug. Suddenly I wasn't like, oh, I felt so bad emotional and feeling that it's lasted this far. Sure, it hurts when you lose someone that yeah. you love. Yeah. But man, you're not going to keep your head down. You got to keep moving. Mm-hmm. And so, Herbie was gone. It had been a year and a half. No, no, a month and a half, two months. I was playing piano, yeah. putting my songs together. And I went to different record labels. I had a group and I was originally offered a contract with Motown Records, right there on Sunset in near Gower, you know, right with the, the Motown. It's just a straight, a straight act for Motown. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I turned that down. That was through Tom Wilson, who's a phenomenal producer. He did Bob Dylan. He did uh, Charlie Mingus, Hugh Masekela's first album. I mean, he, he was a monster. First black graduate in Harvard in 53 or 56 or something. But anyway, I turned the record deal down because they wanted to sign the band. And, I didn't, and if I lose any members of the band, then that's gonna be a problem. And I gotta go through this and I gotta go through that. Yeah. So I turned it down. Meanwhile, I was pitching ABC Dunhill Records at Impulse, and I was pitching a gentleman by the name of Lee Young, who was one of the Young brothers that played with the Nat King Cole Trio. He was a producer, jazz producer for Impulse Records over at ABC Dunhill Records. And so I went and I hit on him almost two and a half years, and I kept pitching my music, and. Said no dice. Come back again. I said, okay. He allowed me. He gave me that space to come back and keep pitching. 
This third time I went back, I gave him the, the tape, the music, he heard it, and he smiled. And he turns around and he says, this is good, you got the contract. Just like that, it was just me and him, no manager, no lawyer, just me and Lee Young. So I, I signed, and then he said to me, he said, you know why I signed you this time? You know, just out of clear blue sky, right? And I said, uh, you, you like the music? And he goes, I, I signed you because I asked you what you thought of the music each time. When I asked you this last time, I asked you, well, what do you think of the music? And I said, it's good. He said, when you said that, that's when I knew. And then he signed me. So he saw something new from the get-go. He just wanted to see that you, you I, were how getting. How I progressed. Yeah. And you know, it's like that job you want in the, as a clerk in a supermarket. Yeah. And you keep going back for the job, keep going back, and you keep going back, and you keep going. Finally, you say, oh, my God, get this guy. Put him someplace. Put him to work. Yeah. You got to pursue it, man. No matter what the costs are in life. And that goes, that's the meaning of life. Is the pursuit of, of what the quest that you want to pursue complete in your life so how how long thereafter you got the contract were you in the studio recording the album just about five months four months and then i was at butler studios butler in santa monica wait a minute was it butler or was it uh uh is it butler well that's the street it's on yeah i can't i can't remember the name village, huh? village recorders village so how long was the process of recording the album you really want to know well you know i'm I just want to... I Let just, me ask you a question. Yeah. Because you're sharp. You're sharp. Okay, thank you. How many hours do you think it would take, and you've heard the compositions, how many hours do you think it would take to to, to record and mix those uh, songs? Well, it depends. At that time. At, at that, that time. time? Well, it de it's your first album, so I don't know how long of a lease they gave you, mm -hmm. but I would have to think you did it fairly quickly. No. Well, how long? In hours? Man hours? How Man long? hours? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to say... You recorded the album in days, maybe two or three days, mm -hmm. and mixed it not that much longer than that after that. I'm guessing. You're talking to someone who's never recorded an album. Well, that makes sense because yeah. that's, that's a, a, an actual basic uh, a procedure that would have been done. Right. I did the recording in 12 hours. The whole album. The mix was down in four to six hours. That hold, yeah. compositions, five, on the album, recorded and mixed, was a total of about 16, not more than 20 hours. Now, was that because of what Impulse had in place for you to use, or was that all on you, or? That was the budget. That, that was, was the budget? That was, that was the budget that Impulse basically allowed Ed to give me. And, and I looked at Ed, and because I had some other compositions, I said, you know, I'd like to add maybe some string. He goes, we don't have the time, Garrett. It won't give us more time. So we had the basic tracks, and uh, we did have two other ones that were recorded, but uh, I lost them in the fire, the masters. I don't know if Impulse has them. I'm, I'm sure they, they may have them or they may not have them. I don't know. A Rose Seco, and I think the other one was Yo-Yo. Um, was the composition that I'd written when I won this Frank Sinatra award. That song I wrote and 
that's what got me the scholarship. Do you do you have your demo tapes from the time you were submitting them? No. No. Um, just a small little thing. There uh, may be a possibility. Yeah. I can't promise you, but there may be a eight uh, cassette that I may have of the show I did here for Impulse Records. Somewhere, there may be one. That's the only one that I can remember. I have one in the Masonic Temple. That was done in, I think, 91, 92, I think. But some of those older tapes, yeah. I I would like to know, and I and that 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 buddy I told you that I knew that looked like James Brown, I think he might have been in the in the mix or the engineering. UCLA Music Department may have a recording of the Frank Sinatra Award. In fact, I think they do. Also, the scholarship because it burned in the fire. I'd like to get that from UCLA. Are we talking about the Universal Fire, or there was another fire? Uh, no, I'm talking about the fire that I had in my apartment. Oh, I lost, I lost the screenplay. That well, that's a whole different subject. Oh. But, well, and well, and just to, I just want to. So, how much longer after you recorded it, where did they release the album? I think was it about was it seventy four, seventy five? So the album was recorded Memorial Day weekend, <clears throat> and then it was released in late September, early October of 73. So it was pretty quick then, huh? Yeah. So about six months, you say? Four months. From recording to the release? Yeah, about four months. Four months? Yeah. Well, was that's that... really, <laughs> that's, that's even faster than when I did the recording. <laughs> now, did they put you on some sort of um, meet and greet with the radio or did you just go out on tour? I, I, I played a couple of performances mostly in San Francisco and uh, there was one in Boston. The ones in San Francisco and Berkeley were the ones that I really liked. Uh, Vallejo Street, Keystone Corners in San Francisco and in Berkeley. Minnie's Can Do Supper Club. I played a Great American Music Hall. I played uh, Cow Palace. I did some shows up there. And the album was doing very well. It was promoted. Yeah. My father was getting calls from his buddies in Philly and in D.C. And they were saying, hey, man, we heard your son's music on the radio, you know, on the plane. So there was, it was getting played, you know. I mean, I, I, I couldn't understand. And, and I, I think, I don't know, maybe I'm jumping ahead because you haven't asked me the question. <laughs> but just to get back to this particular album at yeah. this particular time. Yeah. The album was out. In fact, we're going in chronological order here. The album was out and I had my band, I was in the East Side, and I get a phone call from a gentleman who was a stage coordinator who was doing a performance at Cal State Los Angeles. It was in, gonna be in the football field, about 20,000, 20, 25,000 people. So, they called up and they said, uh, somebody has given your name to us and uh, you're, you're an artist, a performer. We'd like to have you open up for our show that we're gonna have this evening. And I said, oh really, where? And they told me and I said, well, who, who am I opening up for? They said, Jose Feliciano and Vicky Carr. And I said, oh really? I said, yeah. I said, okay. 
so what do you need? He goes, come on over here about four o'clock. The gates open at about five and uh, you can warm up the audience and uh, get 30 minutes. And in fact, ABC might have the footage of that too, bro. I don't have that concert. Their archives might have it. But anyway, so just come on down. I said, okay. I went, I get there and all these bands from East LA are there, right? El Chicano, Tierra, Malo, all these famous band, Midnighters, Premier, there's been a tons of the local East LA, you know, people. When I was a kid, I'd go to these dances and these guys were all hot, you know, their styles and stuff. So I get there and I see all these people. So it was, like, it was basically a cattle call is what it was, right? Yeah. I get there, we're all standing there and the guy comes running off the stage in the back of the stage, he runs up to us and he goes, hey, he leans over and he goes, hey, okay, which one of you guys have music? Which one of you guys here? You guys are the band, right? Yeah, yeah. You guys have your instruments? And they all looked at each other. No, we thought there was a back line here. He goes, no, we don't have a back line. So they said, oh, man. And they're all kind of, you know, looking at each other. They're dumbfounded because most of them had their equipment in their roadies vehicles. Mm -hmm. So they didn't have this equipment. I went in there with my van and all my guys had their instruments. So we all came prepared. The guy calls me. I'm not kidding you. I never felt like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer in all my life. Hmm. I was chosen to come up there to play. I had my instruments, we're walking up. All the guys are walking up the stage and you should have seen the looks these guys were giving me. This is a problem I think with our culture is that we get too tight-knit and we're all, like someone very famous told me, we're all fighting for a meatless bone. And the looks that they gave me, and one guy out of that whole group came up to me and he said, in medio, that was my album, that was my name, and, and he said, go get him. Went up there, we played, performed for about 30 minutes. The crowd filled up the stadium and they were roaring with enthusiasm for the music. We came off stage, I mean, I had just blown my wad. I, you know, it's like you're coming out of a, a yeah. sweat. I came out and my buddy, he congratulated me and these guys were still giving me the eye and the look. I left, I went to my van, I'm sitting there, just sweaty and just get a towel cleaning my face. And here comes my cousin Tito with this big guy. He had on a long sleeve shirt, white shirt, rolled up, his tie was all out. And he's walking with a clipboard and he's walking real fast towards me. And I said, oh shit. I thought it was one of the security guards to tell me to get my van off the lawn, you know, cause we're on the lawn behind the stage. So I'm watching him and he's coming towards me. And he stops and then my cousin walks up to me and he says, hey, I said, what? He says, does that guy want me to move my van or what? He goes, no, no, no. I said, well, what does he want, man? He says, talk to the guy, man. I said, all right, all right. He comes over. <laughs> He walks over and he's all excited. And he looks at me and he goes, in medio, this is the greatest, greatest concert I've ever seen. You guys are terrific. You guys belong in Portugal. You belong in Spain. You belong in France. And blah, 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 blah. And, and I look at him like this. I said, well, what is it? He goes, oh, I'm sorry. He pulls out his card out of his wallet and hands it to me. Ben Barkin, vice president of Slits Malt Liquor. And at that time, that was the beer company at that era. It was big, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, I, Check I know. this out. Check yeah, this. Yeah. This is a great story. 
So I'm looking at the card, right? And he says, Garrett, man, listen, I got to do this show because we're sponsoring this show. I said, oh, really? It's this small liquor? He goes, yeah, yeah. I said, look it. Give me a call. I get to my office on Tuesday. It was a Saturday. Call me on Tuesday, okay? Please, man. I'm going to put you in with a guy that I know is really going to help you. And I looked at him and I said, oh. I said, all right. So he took off. Comes Tuesday, I called. I called his office. Uh, is the office of ben, Mr. Ben Barker? Yes, yes it is. Uh, I gave him your, my name. Oh, he's been expecting you. He's been expecting you. He's been talking all about you. I said, really? God, whoa. He gets on the phone. He says, Garrett, I told my friends on the plane. I, I've been telling everybody. I mean, I ain't even gonna tell, I'm not even gonna tell you anymore about what I think of your music, but I'm gonna tell you something. I'm gonna turn you on to a gentleman. I want you to call him, okay? You got a pen and pen, paper? I said, yeah. He says, call this man. He will help you. I said, okay, what's his name? His, his name is George Wein. W-E-I-N. So I, you know, I said, man, that sounds, that sounds familiar, man, George Wein. Anyway. He says, call him up, tell him I said for you to call. He'll be expecting your call, all right? And the best, the very best to you, Garrett. The very best to you and your group. Much success. Called up the other number. George Ween answered the phone, put me right through. The secretary put me right through. Garrett, I've heard a lot about you, my boy. You've got a lot of talent and you've got a great group. We want to put you on our European tour. We want you to come. What do you think? I said, <laughs> I said, what can I think? I mean, it's the greatest thing. And, and, and what people don't realize is that George Wing was from Columbia Records. This man was God. He promoted the biggest concerts, the biggest concerts in the world. From the Orient to Europe, United States, New Orleans, Montreal, all the great concerts all over the world, worldwide. He agreed to put me on tour, just like that. Give me the number of your record company. I gave him the number of my record company. He calls me up about three days later and he says, Garrett, I'm really dumbfounded. I said, about what? He said, your record company wouldn't buy your radio time. Which goes back to the story that we were working on the shoestring budget and my manager had said, like, what did Ed Michelle say? He said that we'll give you a Sun Ra if you buy this other stuff. Yeah. That was part of that little master plan that these two guys concoct. So they were not willing to pay for my radio time, my buy time. And George was, literally I could feel him shaking his head saying, I'm so sorry, Garrett. So unfortunate. And after that, the album just, the contract finished and the album just sat on a, on a, on a wall. I just put it on the wall. That's a, a good, the story led in a good place because I want to cut to today or more importantly, into the last three years where the, you were able to resurrect the record and uh, it came out this what, past weekend. Well, I, you know, if there's any success from the past, yeah, the present and the future, I have to say I owe it all to 
to my manager Wolfgang. Well, there he is. There he is over there. Let me zoom in on him. He is. Um, he's my light. <laughs> there he is. Nice. And that's who I connected with you to meet you today. Yeah. Okay. So that Wolfgang was instrumental in, in getting um, Universal, who didn't even know they had the rights to the album, to get them in uh, in the process of putting it out. And it has come out, and in in my my small world here on the internet or on YouTube, people are connecting with it. I've I I haven't seen it in my experience, and by magic or in my term magic, you have another album that dropped digitally and on CD and is coming out next month on vinyl. Right, uh, Jazz is Dead, which is a very successful series, right? And they're connecting with artists like you to kind of bring them to modern attention. Right. And I listened to that album. And if there's not a better album than your first album, it's this one. I mean, so can you talk about your experience? Uh, did you have the music already or was it just... You mean this particular album? The, the Jazz, Jazz is Dead? Dead album? No, I was a guest artist on that album. Yeah. Simply. Uh there were compositions that uh, were put together by uh, Adrian and Andrew, and they told me they would like to have me perform compositions that they have, and that I would be uh, a, a partial writer. And it's kind of like a guest series of albums and stuff that they've, they've done. And so I had really no, I had only the imagination as a keyboardist, as a key, as a keyboardist, I had um, the opportunity to, to be, to be able to work with these gentlemen in a capacity of a team player and, and, and some of the arrangements that I had done on the, on the keyboards. That's the extent of it. After that, it's basically the improvisation and the uh, direction that the gentleman uh, had put together for me to just perform, come in and perform. I was a guest artist on that, simply. I didn't prepare the music, I didn't do anything, I just helped with some of the arrangements on the keyboards. But this is a good point, just to get back a little bit. Yeah. And the album speaks for itself. It's out there, I did it. People will accept it, they'll like it, and, and that's the greater, the great part of it, the whole thing. What I've been working on the last three, four years, basically five years, together we have been working on various opportunities to get to this point, and we've reached that point. What I have been doing, really incredible, and I have to interject this because this is very important, this is part of my persona, right? Right. I've been working on a screenplay for 49 years. I don't have so many drafts. I mean, I have more than toilet paper. <laughs> but I put together this project called The Boys from North Broadway. It's a musical. It's about my family in the 40s. It's about these two brothers and a sister that grow up in Los Angeles, Elvera Street, the main area. Because my father was born in Chavez Ravine, where the Dodger Stadium home, yeah, yeah, home yeah. plate is. <laughs> my father was born there. There was no doctors, and my great-grandmother brought him into the world. She was a midwife. 
So I wrote this story painfully throughout all the relationships and years that I've been with people. I finished it, and when I originally wrote it, it was 555 pages. I was working on a, on a chain gang at Universal Studios in the back lot, moving walls and units. And I remembered, I'm on there hanging in the back of the tractor we're, we're, we're riding on, and this man was from Eastern Germany. He had a thick accent. And uh, he never spoke to anybody. And we were on this tractor moving sets to a, different sound stages. And uh, he said, I hear, he's leaning up against the, the rail there, and he says, I hear you have are a writer. And I looked at him, and I, he never spoke to me before, and I looked at him and I said, uh, well, yeah. You have a script that you have been working on? I said, yeah. You know, I'm figuring, how did he know that? Then he says, would you mind terribly if I read it? If I read it, if I read it, may I read it? And I said, uh, yeah, all right. It's pretty long. So I gave it to him, it's about that thick. So almost two inches. <laughs> It's a screenplay. So I gave it to him, right? That was on a Friday. Well, on Monday, I went on the same truck. We were riding the sound stage, and he goes, I read your script. I said, you did? He said, may I give you some advice? And I said, yeah, sure, shoot. He goes, you're another Tolstoy. He just looked at me and he said that. And I looked at him and he said, I, I didn't know who Tolstoy was. And I said, what the hell is this guy? He must be somebody famous, you know? He says, may I give you some advice? I said, yeah, yeah, go ahead. He goes, why don't you write music to it? And I, I didn't even think about that. I said, wow. <laughs> I started to write music. And so I wrote the musical play. I wrote this, I, I finally finished the screenplay. I got the music. That's the new stuff that I've had, and that's already 10, 15 years old that people haven't even heard. Have you recorded any of it? Yes. Yeah, I have it on an album. I, I haven't signed with anybody, but I'd like to present that. It's called Dare to Dream. And these are the musical compositions that I wrote about Los Angeles from the musical play. It's a boxing musical that involves these two brothers. As I mentioned before, one is an artist, he wants to be an artist, and the other one wants to be a prize fighter. And it's a story about Los Angeles, which is different, and it's an original story about who we really are and where we came from in Los Angeles. You know, I'm fourth generation Los Angelino, so I got a lot to talk about Los huh. Angeles. Awesome. Well, Garrett, I really appreciate you talking to me today. Thank you for sharing what you shared. Yes. Um, but my hope is that people See, there's a real, real person behind this album, and uh, literally with your co album cover and your real face here, mm -hmm. they can put a face to the album and a person. So That's good, man. Thank you for sharing with me. You're welcome. Appreciate it. You're welcome.